0: Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney.
1: Oh, yes! Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan, Andrew Gunling, and from the beautiful island in the Atlantic Ocean that we know as the Republic of Ireland, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Andrew, how are you? How are things? I'm well. I'm well. Uh, I hope this festive period has been as stress free for you as it has been for your club
0: yeah absolutely andrew it's been it's been great here being home with the family we had a christening yesterday but mm. i, I kind of want to get right into this because you've dragged me away oh from God. wolves versus liverpool and uh, we've had some more VAR controversy oh. where i'll be honest with you liverpool go 1-0 up and then a perfectly legitimate goal by neto for for wolves has been ruled out right before half time for again this inexplicable uh microbial maybe non-existent offside that has absolutely blighted uh this this entire match uh this christmas period of football in england and um i i don't want this to dominate the whole conversation but no no of course you don't wo- <laughs> it's going to be one. it should be one one at halftime it is not liverpool lead and and that to me uh, is is totally unfair. The reaction of nu- Nuno Espirito Santo's uh, assistant on the sideline was unbelievable. If you think Peck screaming to the heavens was bad, this is on a different level. Um, yeah, also, uh, Matt Doherty, the hero of the win against Manchester City for Wolves, he's on the bench. His cousin, <laughs> who got tickets through Matt, is in the stands at Anfield. He's a Liverpool fan but he's in the away end having to keep his mouth shut amongst the Wolves fans.
1: That's a very interesting family dynamic. Real quick, back to the, uh, the, uh, as you put it, the VAR traversy. I believe that you have now come full circle. You've come all the way back around, and in a weird backwards way, you are now actively rooting for these moments to occur and and like, like you you feel like you've won every time there's another armpit offside because you can feel the hate towards VAR emanating from across the globe with each one of these decisions. And so I now believe that in a, in a perverse way you are actually like you high five yourself every time one of these things happens. You love it.
0: No, no, not really. I, to be honest with you, Andrew, um, it's, it's not me, it's everybody here. It's the constant harping about VAR. How And, and in particular, I think people have made their peace, certainly with the reviews for incidents like, um, you know, checking penalties, for example, Harry Kane skipping round and being felled by the Norwich defender mm-hmm. yesterday. People have made their peace with, with things like that. But the armpit VARs, I mean, look at it. We've had Pookie. Legitimate goal ruled out last night. We had uh, Wilfried Zaha yesterday. That's twice. A, that's two in major incidents in one match day. We have this now tonight with Wolves. We have the encroachment issue that came up uh, in Wolves Man City. Look, it's it's not working. Whatever you think of VAR, well. what this what this VAR is is not working right now. And and honestly, I think the only way to solve the offside is the Gary Lineker suggestion. Where you don't allow the guys at Stockley Park to hold up the game for several minutes trying to draw lines and get it right, it has to apply the logic of well, you know, is this clear and obvious? Because if you're looking at it four or five times and you still don't, don't know, it's not clear and obvious. You shouldn't be ruling it out. I think yeah. that's the only way to go, and that's me accepting that VAR is here to stay. Right, that's and- a compromise. I think we all we all have to make. Otherwise. We're in serious bother here. Right.
1: The, the problem is not that VAR works, it's that it actually works too well. Like, that's essentially what is happening when you get these armpit decisions. Uh, and so I think, yes, I agree with you. A fair compromise, because you've always been anti, I've always been pro. A fair compromise is essentially they get, what would you say, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, maybe even one minute to look at it, no lines. And if you can't tell in that amount of time, then it simply is what it was on the field. And I think all sides would be comfortable with that being the way that it is. But I, can I be completely honest with you? This is, like, for me to come in here, drive an hour each way on a Sunday, I, the nerve of you at the start of this to say that I dragged you here. You're just sitting at home. You walk 10 feet to a computer. You still have the game on in front of you. I, I've driven all over the place today to get here. You drag me here, you animal. But the, And then to drag me here and start the podcast by forcing me to talk about VAR, which is probably, of this year, my least favorite thing to actually talk about because I've grown so tired of your, of your moaning and whining and complaining. Can we talk about something else? Yes, absolutely, and there's right. some
0: good games to have talked about, yeah, and I know where you're going to start well i want to
1: i want to start game. at I want to start at the top of the table. I know Liverpool is playing as we speak, so hopefully some of what we're saying isn't dated by the time people listen to this. Um, but the fact remains like I'm assuming they will have beaten wolves because uh, they beat everyone, but even if they haven't, the story remains what it is, and that is Liverpool are running away, have been running away with this league. The league is over. There is no more drama at the top of the table. I understand why you will lie to our listeners here today in this festive holiday season. You will lie blatantly to everyone and say it's not over till it's over. I'm still nervous, so on and so forth. But it's done, and any reasonably-minded person can agree with that statement. So now I think the only the only direction that there is to go now with Liverpool is to start the conversation as to whether or not we are witnessing, J.J., the greatest team in the history of the Premier League.
0: I mean, that's not the way I want to take this conversation. but that's where we're at. That's where a lot of people feel we're at right now. A good point was made to me last night by my cousin. We were having dinner after the christening, and uh, he said, look, nothing's won in December he said to me, you know, you gotta kind of feel great about this JJ and you probably feel it's over. And I said, Well, you know, Newcastle Newcastle blew it in February from a twelve point lead, which is which is much later in the season and with a similar lead of points. And he said, Yeah, but they had a brilliant Manchester United team chasing them. Who's chasing Liverpool now? So I guess that's that's a point that puts me um under even more pressure to To make declarative statements about what's go, who's going to lift the trophy in May, I would say this: watching them in that first half and that second half, and in, in, in fact throughout the entire ninety minutes at Filbert Street. Yes, I refuse to call oh, it God. the King Power. <laughs> it's probably nowhere near Filbert, Filbert Street, but anyway, I, I, I digress into proper football man territory. There, no, um, watching Liverpool was was otherworldly. The performance the other night. Was such a comprehensive battering of uh, you know a supposed rival or you know I mean they left Leicester smouldering. It was it was a brilliant brilliant performance and watching Trent Alexander Arnold, watching uh, Robertson Firmino's performance, Nabi Keita as well. Look, it, they're just so enjoyable to watch right now. The way they play. The, the intensity at which they played. There was a moment in the first half, Andrew, where, look, we, there's a lot of pace in that Leicester team. And there uh, was a moment where Liverpool were slightly caught out. And Trent Alexander-Arnold makes this looping run to cover in round the back of his centre-backs. And it's almost as if some kind of Matrix-esque special effect has been put over the Leicester players, where time to slowed down and... Trent Alexander-Arnold is moving at regular pace, and he just blithely glides around, wins the ball, and plays it up the field. It was an encapsulation, an imperious performance, and I'm going to run out of superlatives for the way Liverpool have played in uh, in that last game.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the unfortunate thing with Liverpool is that when you're talking about them, there are... There are very few neutrals when it comes to that club. Uh, you kind of either love them or hate them. It just seems to be the the way that they're perceived, just, I guess, because of how big of a club they are. I would say if you are a neutral, then you must really be enjoying this because, it, like, honestly, they are they are a pleasure to watch, and we've talked about that endlessly, really, on this podcast. It, it, like, at every, in every third of the field they're like the best in defense. Their midfield feels like it's the strongest midfield in attack. They're the most dangerous team in the league. Like I just, uh, we've said it since day one. I continue to just like be unable to find a weakness anywhere with them. And like, I keep wondering where is the ceiling for these fullbacks? Like every time I feel like they've changed the position completely. And it's, it really has. If you can find it within yourself to say it, it really has been a joy to watch.
0: I think. Uh, I think as well. One of the, the annoying factors for those who, who are not Liverpool fans and and those who don't like the cult of Klopp is that he's made players better. He's made players who you look at and you thought, well, you know, their time and their time is either up at Liverpool or their time is either up at another club. And he's come in and he's he's kind of elongated things. And just when you see, there's a. You know, there's a problem at centre back. Well, no, there isn't. We 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 find a solution. There's someone to come in and figure that out. And just when you think, well, that midfield is one pasty. You know, Fabinho's gone out of it. Now it's got Henderson in it. Henderson seems seems to be able to up his game and go back into that place where Fabinho was. They find solutions, find ways to win. And that's been that's been another annoying factor because everybody's looking for little glimmers of hope amongst this. Uh, You know, glimmers of light, I guess, that Liverpool might fall apart. And so far, they're not showing any of them. And that adds to the frustration. Plus, you touched on it there. When you've got a loud, vibrant, worldwide fan base and, you know, the team is doing well, it feels as if the walls are closing in on you. Like there's nobody, it it seems as if you're constantly hearing the Liverpool angle and and that creates the title that they've got which is the unbearables. We are um un- <laughs> we are unbearable because we are really really good right now and you're going to hear about it uh, until May hopefully.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure it'll end in May. Yeah. Now, I saw a tweet JJ and I wasn't sure what to do with it. Part of me smiled when I read this because I thought, "Oh, we've now unlocked the lock as to how we can get JJ to hate this season. How can we continue to pester him even though everything is coming up roses for him? Um but I don't know if I'm gonna go that way. I saw this tweet from Matt Jones at Matt J. Football. And he tweeted the fact Monterey and Flamengo gave Liverpool a better game than most teams in the Premier League this season is probably the biggest indictment of how poor this league is. And you took the bait. You went right in on them. The fact, what was your tweet? The fact Watford gave Liverpool a better game than Flamengo was an indictment of wah, 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 cry, cry, cry. Like, so we've now, like Matt Jones, whether it was knowing or not, he, he discovered the way that we can needle you in this. And that is kind of the the method that I chose two years ago when Liverpool ended up losing in the Champions League final to Real Madrid. And that is to kind of belittle their accomplishment by talking about how poor the, like, the group of teams is around them. That this can't be as good as it looks because the teams that they're playing aren't as good. Uh, now, I thought, OK, I could go all in on that and just make the rest of the season just like going at you over how none of this means anything because the teams are crap – um, and there is some truth to that, but in the end, um, like, I, I just can't find it within myself to say that. Because, like, our eyes tell us what we're seeing with Liverpool is is as good as what their accomplishments have been. Like, and, and I think the fact that they can lean on the past two European campaigns to kind of prop up uh, what they're doing now in the, in the league, like... I think that that means something. The fact that they got to a Champions League final, the fact that they won it the next year, like, I think that that can all solidify in your mind that, no, this isn't just about the fact that a lot of teams that are normally good in the Premier League aren't right now. Liverpool truly is this good, and I believe they would be this dominant in pretty much any league in the world.
0: Yeah, just going, going back to that tweet, Andrew. Oh, um, you were so angry. Just I just could sil- see
1: it in your response.
0: No, the silliness about that tweet was, um, well, first of all, he ended it with hashtag EFC, which is like, I mean, kind of give away your colours and that you're a bitter blue about these things. And, you know, a lot of Everton fans aren't bitter. A lot of Everton fans are, are very much surrounded and ensconced by their own new excitement over a new manager coming in, Carlo Ancelotti. And they're not really focusing on what Liverpool are doing. But there's some who, you know... The comment is silly because, first of all, it's total anglo Anglocentrism. Like, the idea that the, you know, the Liverpool um, playing, you know, Monterey and Flamengo, these these teams that, uh, you know, are, are clearly, you know, they're just inferior. You know, they are the champions, the former champions of Mexico and the champions of Brazil. But it's more that, like, was, I tweeted this later on, was the treble-winning United Manchester United team that drew with the Mexican champions, Nacaxa, and got hammered by Vasco in the uh, World Club Cup, an indictment of Arsenal and the rest of the league in the year 2000. Like, when, when, when the league, when United were at their strongest coming off a treble, and when Arsene Wenger's Arsenal were a year or two years out, from, three years out from being the invincibles, you know, was United losing games in the world club cup was it some kind of indictment of the premier league of course it's not football doesn't work like that so the whole tweet was stupid to me in that sense well you all took you you all
1: took the bait and it was brilliant to just sit back and watch and laugh at how sensitive all of you are like why can't you just ignore that you i'm right now i actually have it in front of me and i clicked on his tweet and all the replies i mean it's just like an endless array of sensitive liverpool fans and in fairness to matt jones he does say something that I actually do think is is a decent point. He says, in response to another one of these tweets, he says, I don't think it's outrageous to say Liverpool are brilliant, but the league is quite naff. Why can't both of those things be true?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Look, Andrew, if you, if you want to say that, that's fine. But, I mean, that was the same criticism that was le- leveled at Leicester. In 2015, 2016, oh, uh, they won that league. Tottenham should have won it that year. I mean, Tottenham blew it that year. It was the year when everybody else was in transition and was struggling. White and Spurs win it. Oh, Leicester only won it because of that. Well, okay, but I'm pretty sure you could go back to almost every season and say somebody was in some period of either decline or transition. I mean, the league's across 38 games, and you have to take it for what it is. It's the bread and butter, and it's the best test of a domestic team and how good they are across a sustained period. So, you know, I, I just think, you know, there's there was a bit of cry arson in, in his tweet. There was a bit of wow, wow, wow. And and you asked the question, why do people respond? I mean, Jesus Christ, Andrew, it's Twitter. Something negative must be responded to by something even more negative. I'm, I told you, I'm reading the Twittering machine right now. Twitter uh, and the way it's set up is conditioned for these kind of responses. But um, we should move on. There's more football to talk about rather than Twitter football. So
1: I did want to move on, and I want to move on to the team that Liverpool are playing today, and that is Wolves, because I think that they took part in maybe the most enjoyable match of the season thus far the other day, unless you're a Manchester City fan, when they overturned a two-goal deficit and defeated what was then 10-man Man Man City after Ederson uh, went off with a red card early in the match. They turned it around, they went 3-2. It was an incredible atmosphere at the Molyneux. Really, really fun game. And I think even beyond calling it the match of the season, I think it also contributed, maybe I'm, I'm kind of like prisoner of the moment here when I say this, but I think it might have also been my performance of the season so far in an individual game from what we saw from Adama Traore.
0: Um, I thought Traore was brilliant, but I actually don't think that's his best performance in a Wolves jersey. But without him...
1: Okay, the then what is? Get, you Wolves couldn't just Wolves agree. The, then what is his best performance in a Wolves jersey?
0: Well, off the top of my head, I can't remember what the game no. was, but I have seen him play oh. better. But that's not the <laughs> you, point. You just if have you want to, to, to disagree. There's no other game. You're not thinking of anything. Oh. I am. I, I actually am. Um, my point about Adama Triori in the City game and how important he was and how good his performance was, was if he wasn't doing it, they were surprisingly blunt for a team that has the players, the Nieves of this world, the Matt Doherty's, you know, the Jimenez. They were just struggling up until a certain point in that game to capitalize on the on the misfortune of Manchester City. I mean, they were City were 2-0 up with into the second half with being down to 10 men, their goalkeeper off. And it was interesting. There's a moment in, I think it was the first half, where uh, Traoré gets the ball centrally and he I think it's a a pass or maybe it's a bad touch by him, but whatever. He's running onto a ball and he gets a shot off, but he's off balance. And he, the commentator said he should have just kept going. And I totally agreed because Otamendi had a three or four yard start on him towards that ball. But Traore so quick, he ate it up. And I'm like, this is the difference. This is pretty much the only way Wolves are going to get back into this game. And if you look at the goal, Andrew, it's a turnover. City have the ball, the, f- the first goal in-, in the comeback. City have the ball. It's turned over and it comes to Triore, and he just gets it out of his feet and drives a low shot pla- uh, past Claudio Bravo. And that's it. The game turns on its head. Now, what had happened just a few minutes prior to that is the thing that is the turning point for me and allowed Wolves to build the momentum where by the end they were totally in control of the game and they found their winner in Matt Daugherty, a really quite brilliant goal uh, Mm -hmm. in itself. But the thing was, taking off Kevin De Bruyne at that moment in time was clearly Pep in my mind saying, we can close this out. I'm going to put Gundogan in. We're going to close this game out. We can close this game out without De Bruyne. But it actually wasn't the case. They lost complete control of any semblance of go-forward, to use a rugby phrase, go-forward ball. They had no chance of launching attacks. They were completely overran in the midfield from that moment on. And Pep was the author of this this downfall. I mean, I'm leaving Fernandinho in there, or excuse me, uh, De, Bruyne De Bruyne in there, when I know I don't have Fernandinho to go into to, to the middle of the park. Now, I'm not Bill be- be- again He wasn't to blame for this... Uh, coming off the bench in the same fashion as he was, you know, culpable in the Liverpool game, where I thought he was absolutely atrocious. But when I see that substitution, or even when I see City starting against good opposition—not average opposition, but good opposition—with Gundogan in the team, it's just not as good as the preferred partnerships they have. And and really not having Fernandinho in the middle of the park for that crucial part of that game, having him play at centre-back was disastrous. No, I want to talk to you about something else. Well, real quick, can, was, can I respond to all that?
1: Because I I, yeah. I want to weigh in on that too. Um, I think you're actually 100% right in saying that because the interesting thing to me, when you're talking about Manchester City or really you're talking about anybody, I think the key, who was it that I saw just talking about this? Josie Mourinho uh, was talking about Spurs. And he was saying that what's most important in this sport, is to be able to hide your team's fragilities. Where are you most vulnerable and hide that? You know, And so he says with Tottenham, he's still in the process of trying to figure out how to do that. With Manchester City, we pretty much know what it is. There's no more secrets. They are fragile in defense. Now, I know when you're down to 10 men, things change, uh, and especially when you're up, you know, two goals or even so one goal at at that point, like I I understand that there is part of you that just wants to see the game out, but we know that Manchester city's fragility is in defense. When you take off De Bruyne after Sergio Aguero has already been taken off early in the game, like you're now shifting the entire onus to your team's defense. Like you are now, you are now going to make this game about doing what you do worst Whereas if you leave De Bruyne on, you can continue to play at least a semblance of your game. You at least have that threat out there that Kevin De Bruyne can produce some kind of moment that keeps Wolves' defense honest. When you take him off, Wolves were allowed to just go full-bore attack. And that Manchester City defense, with 10 men especially, is never going to hold up to that. And it's exactly what happened.
0: Now, we should talk about the directness of Wolves and the fact that they wouldn't give up in this game. I'll, I'll skip quickly to the third goal because I do want to make mention Doherty was pretty much out of the game Mm -hmm. for most of the game because when Traore plays on that side as an attacker um, and he started there, Doherty has now become less of the attacking force that we saw last season. However, City were so stretched at the end that Doherty could play a 1-2 with Jimenez and pulled out just a brilliant finish. Um, We'll get to talk with Matt Doherty, I'm hoping, sometime in the new year. But he is a great story in perseverance and persistence in football, but let me go back as well to being authors of their downfall at two two with uh, at, excuse me at two one with city defending for their lives mm-hmm. Andrew, what is Benjamin mendy doing uh, we have to, we
1: have to talk about this because i 've been thinking about this since it happened, uh, and Benjamin Mendy to me has is now the human encapsulation of an element of this sport that i 've been thinking more and more about because I watched that. And I was just thinking, like, if you're one of his teammates who has been just like working his ass off throughout the course of this game, you've been down ten men for 80 minutes, 80 plus minutes, like, and then that happens after all of your hard work. Like, what do you even say to the guy in the locker room afterwards? I mean, look, he 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 tweeted about it, and he clearly felt awful that it happened. But like, I keep thinking in this sport, JJ, that. The amount of goals that are scored, not because a team does something good, but because a team does something bad and dumb, I really think it's like 75% of all goals scored are because somebody did something dumb. Like, I, I, I'm now at a, at a point in this in soccer where I feel like if you're a team that can just like not commit a, 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 an unusual number of unforced errors like everyone else is doing, then you'll win the league. Like, just don't be dumb this like carelessness in the back like just like, you're trying to see this out down a man for 80 minutes just smash the ball to midfield what are you thinking like there is so much I'm watching it with Tottenham uh against Chelsea like even though Chelsea dominated that game and and certainly should have won think about the way those goals were scored stupid from Serge Aurier even stupider from Gazaniga like these are the things that that decide titles they decide top 4 they decide relegation just Don't be stupid. Don't be the author, like you said, of your own downfall. It's how so many goals are scored. I can't get over it. And the Mendy moment, it just just crystallized in my mind that just way too many goals are scored because of stupidity and recklessness.
0: Now, what was funny about it was I was looking at the tweet after, way after the game, one of the tweets from the um, Blue Moon podcast guys. um, And (laughs) one of them said, why was he shielding the ball there? If the ball goes out goes out it's a corner. Yeah. Kick. What are you doing? Like so so the problem for Mendy here is that you see so much in the media particularly when he was coming back from the injury about him you know suddenly on the drop of a hat ending up in Paris 2 days before a game when Pep doesn't know where he is or he's telling him he shouldn't be traveling 2 days before a game in the UK and That confirms that maybe he is not uh, as clued in or as focused a player as we need to have on the field. And that is bad. The other thing is, and I want to address this, Man City fans are quite right to be upset and say, well, Adama Traore has barged him in the back Mm -hmm. to get the ball. Now, this is one of these grey areas in the sport which I think needs addressing. You will notice that if... Uh, for example, Adama Traore had barged him in the back while he was dribbling with the ball in that same upright stance, that would be a free kick most places on the field. However, the minute the referee thinks you're shielding the ball, and you'll notice this when a team is trying to play out the clock in the corner. Right. Have you seen the anything-goes approach oh, to tackling? Absolutely. Yes. So he, gets, he does not get that referees, for whatever reason, when you go into anything that looks like a shielding or an obstructing the opponent getting the ball stance, rightly or wrongly, rules or not, you aren't getting that call. And so I have little sympathy in this scenario for Mendy. He's played the game too long to think that he's going to get that. And by the way, again, Triore with the wonderful heads-up play to nutmeg, I think it was Fernandinho, and get the ball through. To Jimenez, who pokes past Bravo, no. uh, for all the things we say about you know the mistakes, and you're quite right about, about mistakes in soccer in general, Andrew. We should give plenty of props to Wolves because, uh, to come back like that, that was that was pretty special, of
1: course. Of course, the one thing that I, I want to say about what you're talking about with uh Benjamin Mendy and the reason for that foul not being given. I mean, you're right. Partially it is because he made the decision to, to shield the ball the way that he did. But I also saw Henry Bushnell tweet right after the game that Mendy's honesty was essentially punished. Like, if he goes down there like 95% of other players do, I don't know, man. I, I really think that the chances of that foul being given is almost 100%. If, he, well, if he's actually well, and, knocked to the ground and allowed himself to just go down the way everyone else does, I really think it's given as a foul.
0: Well, a- Andrew, I agree with you, and I agree with old bushy boy. That is actually <laughs> true because, um, like I said, I'll go back to my example in the corner flag. When, if, if I'm running down the clock and I go to the for- corner flag with my back to the defender and I put my foot on the ball, the free will not be given no matter how much I battered until when until I fall over. Correct. And, um, and, and that's what happened there. But I I mean, a victim of his own honesty is to paint uh, Mendy into some kind of, uh, you know, a martyr figure when, <laughs> oh, I am a martyr for the rules. It was. I, I watched it, was. it. I said
1: that was heroic by Benjamin Mendy. Uh, the one the, thing about Triari that I wanted to mention, it, it seems like every manager that has had him knew that this was coming, but they couldn't quite harness it. Like, just look at the guy. He's different. He's just different than every other guy out there. His speed, his size, he looks more like a running back than he does anything on a soccer field. Uh, like This guy was at Barcelona, Villa, Middlesbrough, and now finally at Wolves. It seems like he, he's starting to recognize this potential that he's had within him. He's only 23 years old, and I know you said he's had better performances for Wolves. I'll wait for you to come up with what that is, but I'll, I'll just leave you with this about his performance remember the fantasy league that you used to be in with us until you decided you were better than everyone and couldn't take part in such silliness well that league still exists and he's actually on my team Uh, and he put up 41 fantasy points in this game which usually is a number reserved to guys who score like three score like a hat trick or four goals or something like that he had only one goal and still contributed that performance and i don't want to put too much into stats but when when a guy does that puts up that many fantasy points in a game where he scored one goal. It's a sign. You still have to watch the game to know. But it is at least a sign that he's putting up that number of points because he is involved in every single thing that is happening. And to have watched that game, you knew that to be true. He was all over the place. His name was constantly being called out. That play, the two assists, the goal, he was phenomenal.
0: You don't need the stats to prove uh, that Nuno Espirito Santo sees something so important in Adama Traore. He has literally changed his winning formula for last season to accommodate him more on the side because he gives them something that no other player on the field or arguably no, no other player in the Premier League could give you. And um, What's interesting about what you said, everybody's had faith in him that they can get something out of him, but apparently he was not easy to coach. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, maybe his game understanding has taken time to develop and to grow. There's a great story about Tony Pulis, which will leave you all a uh, much more uh, warm feeling about about Pulis, because I know he wouldn't exactly be a huge fan um, for our listeners. He's, not, he's, he's seen as a PFM and a bit of a dinosaur, and I think that's probably unfair considering track record. But Pulis had him at Middlesbrough, and that's why I found it weird why is Championship Middlesbrough, Adama Traore ending up at Wolves now? Like, what What have they seen? Why has this transfer happened when it happened last season? Because I was very, you know, I wasn't sure about him at all. But apparently Pulis used to play him when he would start him or bring him on as a sub. He used to bring him on on the wing where Pulis had his dugout. So Pulis would come to the end of the technical area and coach him through the games. You would you could hear him shouting and calling adama adama do this adama go there drop off to try and help him through games not get frustrated and work on his uh, game awareness and his positional awareness i guess and that is that's pretty interesting and i i've heard of that happening before but it makes total sense with this guy and by the way we get we sometimes fall into the idea you know um and certainly it's going to be said about him a lot because he is actually there's a stereotype about um black players which is oh he's pacey he's athletic he's strong well he is actually all of those things and he is built like a running back or he's built like a rugby league player rather than a footballer but his quick feet and his ability to get a shot off uh, makes him uh, a skillful technician as well so um yeah look a great game and i'm i'm not again i wasn't being smart there's some game, and it may not have even have been in a Wolves jersey. It could have been in one of the aforementioned clubs that you mentioned that he's played for, where I saw him and he blew my socks off. But yeah, he was—he was—he wasn't. It, it wasn't just that he was phenomenal the other night. It was that Wolves getting back into that game, he was their only hope of doing it and he came up big.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited to see the direction that his career goes, for sure, because he is still so young, and the potential is is so clearly there for everyone to see. I'll tell you what, let's take a very quick break. When we come back, there's a few other things that I want to mention. I know you have a mailbag. Uh, still a lot to get to. Don't go anywhere. Winks.
0: Clips it. Into Kane. The flag will stay down for Harry Kane, who rolls it under the goalkeeper. So the goal is Offside. And Spurs will have to go again. They'll always try and find Pookie early, and it's work for them here. Norwich lead by two goals to nil.
1: Oh, wow, they're reviewing this for offside. No goal. Offside. Oh, what is your problem? We started the first part of the podcast talking about the armpit offside. So you, of course, then forced me to start the second part of the podcast with it as well. You're obsessed. You're obsessed.
0: Andrew, everything must be in its right place. Radiohead did say that. Everything must be in its right place. Okay, computer, fitter, happier, more productive, not drinking too much, regularly regularly exercising at the gym, seven days a week. This is the dystopian future. The machines are winning you're welcome.
1: You're and you're rooting for it. You are quietly in the background rooting for it because you
0: love it. it. It's also an excuse, Andrew, to uh, play Radiohead, which is we can, I will use we, that. We at can any just moment.
1: we can just do that. You know we don't we don't have to accompany it with with VAR discussion. But at any rate, uh, a couple other things that I want to talk about before we get to your mailbag. Um, first and foremost, and I don't have the tweet in front of me, but. I just want to make this clear now as we get into a little bit of Tottenham discussion from the interesting, <laughs> this interesting week and a half that they have had. Uh, I got a tweet from someone following the Tottenham Chelsea game. Um, like I said, I don't have it here and I wish that I did. And it was almost a subtle implication that because Tottenham were involved, uh, I wasn't going to bring up what happened with Antonio Rudiger. Um, and I was basically challenged saying that this better be your red card. Well, we are not doing red cards in Man of the Match on this episode, but that will not stop me from talking about that incident, and I obviously will not hide from it. And I would say that anybody who thinks that I'm that guy – who would have swept that under the rug because it involved my club, maybe this is the wrong podcast for you. Maybe I'm not the person that you should be listening to if you think that I'm actually capable of doing something like that. I would like to think most people who have listened to this show long enough know that we're not about that and that we can clearly recognize when something is bigger than this sport and race relations in soccer absolutely 100% falls into that category. I feel like we discussed it enough where hopefully most people knew that, but I guess some people need to be reminded still, uh, yeah, I'm a Tottenham fan, and that was completely and utterly disgusting. And whatever punishment the Premier League or the FA or whoever wants to levy against them for it, fine. Fine. Go ahead, do it. I'm all for it. Whatever it takes to get this stuff out of the game. Ban the guy. Do whatever you have to do. Uh, because I hate that it happened at this club, because uh, it is a club that I love. I feel awful for players of color on Tottenham that now know that there are fans, oh, I say fans, a fan in the stands that feels that way. How, are, like, how is that supposed to make them feel? Danny Rose, who's been so vocal on things like this, and who's been vocal on like his, his battles with depression and how this game can just not be fun at times because of people like this in the crowd. Like, like th- those players are affected too. Those are the guys that I thought you were supporting. But no, like people like that, whoever it is that did that uh, and, and made the, the monkey gestures towards Rudiger, like these are not people fit to be in stadiums for games, and they're certainly not people that I believe are fit to support this club. Uh, so I was disgusted by it, um, and like I said, whatever the punishment is, I accept. And hopefully people understand that, like, that's just not a thing to me that it, this isn't really about soccer. This is a thing that's really more than that.
0: Yeah, look, Andrew, anybody who's listened to the podcast, I, I don't need to say this, but we, we confront these issues head on. It doesn't matter if it's a Liverpool pa- fan or a Spurs fan. Um, on the incident itself, you know, I've I've kind of gone back and forth. We've had John Barnes uh, on the podcast who who kind of... And I don't wish to misrepresent what he says, but he talks about the societal issue of racism and how how can you expect football to to um, to not have that element in it when it's rampant in society and and in some points, uh, as Gary Neville said, it, it we see it uh, sticking its rearing its ugly head amongst those elected to lead in England and in Parliament. Uh, but I do think I'm moving back towards the fact that football needs to uh, police itself much better. Michael Calley on Twitter made the point that fans are going to have to make awkward and possibly tough decisions when they hear racism in the stands or, or close to them. They are going to have to either alert the nearest policeman in the ground or preferably a Stuart. Uh, first of all, look, Tottenham are not without previous sin. In this regard, it's a decade since uh, four players were given—excuse uh, f- me—four supporters were given football banning orders for uh, homophobic abuse of Saul Campbell at Fratton Park in a game versus Portsmouth. So, how that was dealt with at the time was uh, there was uh, CCTV footage or pictures of sixteen fans were identified, and four were. Uh, identified by the police as being involved in this chanting. And that's how the banning orders were handed down. Now, do I like the idea of the police, um, you know, taking pictures within the stadium and trying to track people down? No, but if football itself can make a concerted effort between the supporters in the stand, letting stewards know about what they're hearing and TV cameras in the stands, identifying those who are doing this disgusting behavior, then maybe that's a solution because, you know, it's a decade since that happened and clearly Tottenham and other clubs have not been proactive enough in, uh, I guess, policing what goes on in their own stadia. Yeah,
1: look, I don't know how you do that. I mean, I don't know how you get into people's minds and change the way that they feel in moments like that. Like, the thing is, you can be mad as a Tottenham fan at Rudiger. Like, if you thought that he... Kind of like suckered the ref into awarding a red card there against Sun, maybe unjustly. Fine, like part of being a fan is loving your players and getting mad at opposing players. But I just don't understand why people have to go to that place. Like just, yeah, just be yeah, mad. I don't, just be I don't, mad I don't normally.
0: Like you know, don't don't, why take it there? I don't understand it, Andrew. But um, but the fact that they reach so quickly, so so quickly to go to that place is the question that needs to be answered, which suggests that it's in the front of their mind and at the tip of their tongue already. If, if if like you say, they go to that place, they go to it quickly, they're there already somewhere in their mind. Yeah, That's the only thing I can deduce, and that is particularly sad.
1: Yeah, I hate it, and it's it's why, like I had said to you after the Tottenham-Everton game earlier this season, that I don't know if there was going to be a Tottenham game, even though that ended in a draw. I don't know if there was going to be a Tottenham game that was just more disappointing and like left me feeling emptier this season than that one did because that had the, the horrible injury uh, and it was just a dull game. But the the Tottenham-Chelsea one, not even because of the result, although obviously that didn't help, but because you had that kind of hanging over the match and it was just the way I felt for the rest of the day, the following day after that game. It's just like, you know, you kind of feel ashamed of of your club and that's No, that's not really what this sport is about but like we said some things are bigger than sport and this is one of those things um i do want to talk a little bit about them i don't have very much this has been kind of a weird week for them in terms of results um you know sometimes they look absolutely putrid other times they play in a way where you think why can't they just do this all the time um but that's kind of what they are right now like and by that I mean we don't know what they are right now. Every time they sit foot on the field, uh, you don't know what you're getting. And people are trying to use that as some sort of indictment against Mourinho. That's nonsense. That's complete nonsense. He hasn't had nearly enough time to put some kind of stamp on this team. Their performances under Pochettino for the last year have been weird and inconsistent. So, like, that's not going to change. I know there was that bounce that Spurs got, like most teams do from a new manager, and they're into the knockout stage of the Champions League, and they're back in the top four conversation. But, like, nothing is solved here. Nothing has been fixed. So, like, this is how the rest of the season is going to go. And you just have to hope that maybe part you know, they're a little bit lucky. Uh, maybe at some point they do find it and are able to get into the top four. But, like, this is, this is just what this season is going to be. And the weird thing to me, JJ, is that, you know, look, in attack, like I said, there's moments where they're brilliant. But the strange thing is, like, if we talk about the stamp of a Mourinho team, it's defense, 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 defense. Yeah, this team gives up goals like I've never seen. So, like, so no, he has not had a chance yet to put his hallmark on this club, and that's that's going to take time.
0: I think uh, the worry, though, Andrew, and it's again, it's going to take time to see whether this is indeed the case. But at Manchester United, the indictment of Mourinho was well, you know what do you what do you get with Mourinho. You get sometimes turgid hard to watch football, but the defense is good and you grind out wins. Now, that's not happening at Spurs in the sense that they're still leaking goals. So if Mourinho still can't do, if, if Mourinho can't do the things that you bring him in to do, then really what's the point in having him here? You might as well take the pain with a more progressive manager that's going to move you forward. I know what you're going to say to that. Ah, oh, well, you know, you got to give them time, JJ. You don't yeah. know how this is going to shake up, and I, I would tend to agree with that. What I have learned, and I think what's important from the last few games, uh, watching this, uh, watching this Tottenham side play, in particular the winning goal against Brighton, in, in which was exactly what I said, a pretty turgid game, and in terms of the performance and almost swaying the game uh, towards a a 3-2 win for Spurs, although Norwich played excellently. Christian Eriksen is so vital to the cohesive nature of this attack and his ability to unlock guys like Dele mm. and and Harry Kane. I mean, I wonder, will Christian Eriksen and his agent look at the landscape in front of them, see the overtures that are being made at Barcelona, again to try and get Neymar in, and see that maybe there's no room, to, to use a festive phrase, there'll be no room at the inn there. Look at perhaps Real Madrid. Maybe there's no room at the inn in Real Madrid. And after that, it would take it would take players to leave Juventus. Uh, I'm thinking of all the top clubs now. Manchester United, maybe they come back in for him. But what I'm saying is maybe Christian Eriksen surveys the landscape of European football in January or or maybe later in the summer, depending on what happens. And he decides that Tottenham is the place for him to cement the legacy and maybe to go forward as a player and maybe that the grass isn't green on the other side certainly if I'm a Spurs director or or if I'm Daniel Levy or or Jose Mourinho I'd want to keep him because when he's in his right mindset and when he's starting regularly for Spurs or at least making regular appearances for them he is he's an important team
1: oh yeah yes he's He is integral, and he's been one of their best players for this era. There's no question about that. Look, everything you're saying, maybe there's truth to it. In my mind, he's gone. Like, it's over. And we're just kind of playing out the string here. And I can only say from here on out, um, if they're serious about getting into the top four, like – I don't know. They can question where his mind frame is at, but when he comes on and he plays, he's still playing to the level that we expect Christian Eriksen to play. So I, I, I think it's, it's t- more
0: than that, Andrew. I think he elevates the team. He yeah. absolutely elevates all, all, all the facets around him, and he is their bright spark. And I actually think I, I I'd fear for what Spurs look like without
1: him. Well, what I am saying is, start him again, like just yeah. like, fine. So maybe you think he's going to leave, then so be it. Then like. Squeeze all the juice you can out of these remaining days where he's a player on your team to at least use him and help yourself get into a better spot to once again be playing Champions League football next season. Like now, now to me is not really the time to be making some kind of grander point. Well, if his mind's not here and he wants to be elsewhere, then we're just not going to play him. Well, you know
0: what? When he's out there playing, he's still
1: Christian Eriksen, and, and he's proven that. So
0: just just play him. Just play I him. would be, I would worry, Andrew, that the methods of Mourinho are not of the juice squeezing type i'm afraid that maybe the juices will not be squozen. i fear that they may remain within him as he simmers on the sideline but we shall see
1: yeah we certainly shall uh let's see moving on chelsea and arsenal played earlier today it's been a very uh, i don't know chelsea are quickly for me becoming my most confusing team in the league like We've talked about, you know, in terms of upper echelon clubs, we know what Liverpool are. We we now I feel like have a good sense of what Manchester City are. I feel like we get a sense now of what Leicester are. Um Chelsea is the one where they'll go a month where I think, wow, this team is outstanding and then they'll go the sort of stretch that they're in right now where I think, like, what exactly are we watching here? Now They do come back today and beat Arsenal in Arsenal uh, at the Emirates 2-1. They get two late goals, 83rd and an 87th-minute winner from Tammy Abraham. And they come back and they win that game, which, my God, I mean, how badly did they need that after taking a 2-0 loss against Southampton?
0: Yeah, look, I watched the whole of the Southampton-Chelsea game, and it was the Stamford Bridge Blues yet again. They've got just a pretty horrific record at home, and they need to figure out how they can be better if they're really going to push on under Frank Lampard today I was at dinner so I watched Celtic Rangers in the morning or the the uh the 12:30 kickoff and I didn't get to see Arsenal and Chelsea but from what I heard the performance in the second half was much much better from Frank Lampard's team there's a couple of things going on here Andrew just from what I've read from what I've watched from what I've seen first the first thing from the Southampton game um they struggled at both ends of the pitch they Created, they struggled actually to create without Christian Pulisic or before he came on. They had chances, don't get me wrong, but they didn't seem to have the cutting edge. And Southampton, I must give them credit. Andrew, Southampton uh, defended really, really well in that game. They were very, very good at the back. They were tight um, centrally. They were very compact and they were deadly on the break. And I think just let's take a moment to uh, talk about how good. Southampton were to at least acknowledge it because the comeback for Southampton, and I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but you think about the nine nil and <laughs> how hard or how easy it would have been for the Southampton board to say, listen, Raf Hassan Hütl, we got to say goodbye. That is just an epic embarrassment, but they recognize that he's got a plan. He's trying to execute it. There may be some growing pains, but back to, back to Chelsea in particular, Benerick and Stevens at the back, for Southampton were excellent and you know Tammy Abram looked a bit lost up front uh, Willian was he was okay he was industrious enough but they just toiled but the big thing for me Andrew with Chelsea is that at the back especially when when they're caught on the break and again the the Southampton midfield did really well Hoiberg uh, Ward Prowse Armstrong Redmond had excellent games but this the thing for me is there seems to be gaps there seems to be kind of a lack of communication. The goalkeeper is not 100. He can be quite erratic too. I don't think Belaga is at quite the level that he has been at certain periods last season for Chelsea. And that all comes together and they and they leak goals. And that's a huge, huge problem for them. The other thing that I wanted to mention was, you know, he tries to change things up front and rotate. And with younger players, that's kind of, that's something that a manager wants to do with a heavy schedule, and I understand why he, why he he wants to do that, Frank Lampard. But that kind of causes a little bit of a problem. Um, Pulisic was obviously out today because he was injured with a hamstring. Hopefully, that's not too bad. Mm-hmm. But you know, Frank Lampard switching things, changing things formationally up front can cause a few problems. I was interesting again. The aforementioned Michael Kelly tweeted this, and it's a link to a guy called Omar Chidori, and it was a very interesting tweet based on based on data that's been collected and omar tweeted managers do react to performances but they act but they react much more drastically to results i argue that it's inefficient and he goes into the the numbers to suggest that and that often can be the case and i wonder if it's the case a little bit at chelsea the the performances okay you know they haven't actually been that bad for Chelsea. That that at some points they've just been poor defensively and got, have got caught out. And Lampard's maybe tweaked things too much, and in the end it's ended up being efficient for them, inefficient for them. But um, maybe this is just the growing pains of a, a essentially a rookie manager at this level trying to find the best formula for Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's my that's my read on it. I don't I don't think the fact that he could change it today. Now look, Arsenal were much weakened from what I read, when uh, Mustafi came on and Chamberlain came off. So that helped Chelsea in that regard. But the fact that Frank could tweak it and, and get a good positive second half today... You know, that is a good sign for them. They are very Jekyll and Hyde at the moment. And honestly, for me, it's a defensive issue.
1: Yeah, look, you say it's a rookie manager. It's not only that. It's also an incredibly young squad that is kind of learning on the fly a little bit in their own right. And it's interesting, too, because if this is a situation with managers reacting more to results rather than performances, then I do wonder Mm -hmm. how both sides will take away from this today, because... You know, by by most accounts, I mean, watching this game too, Arsenal are probably feeling a little bit unlucky that this game went the way that they did, because they did play well. Uh, they had the lead for the vast majority of the game until a burnt Leno. Like We talk about being the authors of your own undoing. If it's not Arsenal's defense, today it's their goalkeeper. Leno was just an awful mistake in the 83rd minute, which led to the first goal, and then the floodgates kind of opened, and Chelsea were able to get that second just four minutes later. Really, really frustrating for Arsenal, but like we say, I mean, if performances matter more than results, like you won't find an Arsenal fan that feels that way right now, but maybe there are some good things then to take away from this one. Uh, here's Shaka Hislop on ESPN FC talking about some of that for Arsenal.
0: I thought Arsenal played very well. Arteta somehow found a way to again include Lacazette, Aubameyang, and Mesut Ozil, yet they defended as a team... Very well. I think that's a huge step in, in, in the right direction. As much as I understand the, the, the disappointment, I think that disappointment came because of an individual error by one of Arsenal's more consistent performers in Bernd Leno, who just misjudged the flight of a ball. And but for that goal, you can make the argument that Arsenal go on, hold on for the 1-0 lead, because let's be honest, Bernd Leno didn't have a whole lot to do before that, and, and take the three points.
1: Yeah, tough one uh, for Arsenal today to lose the way that they did.
0: Certainly. And um, I, again, we're talking about time. I've read so much about Arteta's almost had a plan. He's almost the Elizabeth Warren of football right now. I have a plan for that. Um, he's been planning and plotting for his first foray into management for, for years, but also with a specific Arsenal bent. He's done interviews. He's had a very clear vision for what he wants. So, OK, not the greatest start for him. So far, the result at Bournemouth and then uh, losing in dramatic fashion to Chelsea. But, you know, this is where we really test um, the beleaguered, the now beleaguered uh, AFTV and whether the fans can just remain calm and, and allow Arteta to, to, you know, do what he wants to do to take the club forward. Yeah, Um just a couple other
1: quick things before we get to your mailbag, uh, Pellegrini out at West Ham. I don't know if anyone is really going to be shocked by that, considering the way this season has gone for them. There was a time when it looked like this might have actually been a good season for West Ham, and then it all it all just seemed to spiral. JJ and they are now sitting seventeenth uh, in the table, uh, just a point up on Aston Villa in the relegation zone. So
0: I th- I think uh, I think Andrew with the money that was spent. Not all of it well, not all of it wisely over the last period. Um, I think the last two seasons have been a major disappointment. Um, Now, I don't blame the manager entirely. I tweeted last night and I still stand by it. Um, Manuel Pellegrini, it didn't work out okay. Um, The the signings, some of them were quite flashy. Some of them were quite, um, I don't know. I'm not sure if they were practical or pragmatic signings. Yarmolenko is one that that springs to mind in particular, but uh, he gets he doesn't get a chance. Manuel Pellegrini to turn it round. He gets he has no more chances. That's it. And then you look at the board of Gold Sullivan and Karen Brady, and you wonder, you know, why are they getting another chance at this? Well, why? Because they own the club. But fans will tell you the frustration lies as much with the board yet again at West Ham as it does with the manager. And I'm wondering, David Moyes, they're talking about Moyes coming back in. Sam Allardyce was mentioned again for another stint. Uh, But I wonder where where this ownership is really going and and what's the plan at the London Stadium?
1: Yeah, Uh, and to link these last two clubs that we've been talking about together, Arsenal and West Ham, JJ, since mid-October, Arsenal... This is an amazing stat, but in the league since mid-October, Arsenal have won just one game, which happened Monday, December 9th against
0: West Ham. I mean, it's absolutely insane. I was watching Match of the Day with Gary Lineker last night, and they showed the table. And, you know, for anyone who's watched, say someone who just started watching football 20 years ago, we are now in the upside down world
1: it's madness, um let's see before we get to our mailbag. I, I just want to know your home wh- what do you get like for me, Hanukkah has become more of a kid's holiday like I got like sweatpants because in our move this year, I lost my sweatpants i don't know where they are, maybe there's some like moving guy walking around in them right now. Uh, wh- what do you get on christmas
0: well um usually I uh, get the, the the thing is you might get aftershave you might get socks underwear boxer shorts things like oh. that scarves sometimes hats sometimes when you're older that's what happens there are no more toys our boy head, boyhoods are over andrew um this year uh we were mainly because we had um you know we had a new nephew it was his first first christmas my brother's kid mm. so there was a lot of focus on on buying stuff for the kids and that and uh my dad, uh, for, uh, for a present for him, I got him a framed Champions League final official program mm. plus three high-res photos of uh, celebrations um, in Madrid during the summer, which he really liked. Um, I got all that framed for him. That was pretty cool. But usually, Andrew, socks and underwear. That, um, if, if you do, it, It's weird. Some guys in Ireland and the UK will say, thank God Christmas is coming because I'm running out of socks and underwear.
1: Really? So it's like, it's actually a thing. Oh, Christmas is here, time to reload on underpants.
0: Yeah, pretty much. very
1: odd. All right, I never knew that. You learn something every day. Um, Let's see, you have a big mailbag, uh, none of which I've been alerted to, so I'm going to be operating completely blind here.
0: Yeah, before we get to that, I just wanted to say, huge win for Steven Gerrard going into the Lions' Den Celtic Park today. Rangers winning 2-1. And deserving it, Andrew. I mean, they should have won the League Cup a couple of weeks ago. They didn't. They were denied. I didn't think Celtic could play that badly again. They did not play well today. But I think it's more the fact that Gerard has this uh, Rangers team playing extremely well. There is now a major title race on. I know there was a title race beforehand. But the fact that Rangers went to Celtic Park and one means it's truly on. We are going to have some excitement in Scottish football. And I think with the job he's done in terms of getting this Rangers team playing and the progression they've made, um, there will be envious eyes looking to the north from the south, Andrew. And I honestly think, particularly if he wins the league and he's hoisting the league trophy in May, if he denies uh, Celtic the record in Scotland of consecutive Cups uh, league titles rather and um and he does the business for rangers. I mean how about this? West Ham United. It would be the kind of glitzy glamorous signing they'd have as manager. They put in David Moyes as a as a placeholder until May when they announced Steven Gerrard. Hmm intriguing. You don't think so Yeah, I mean it's possible. Anyway, mailbag. Yeah. First one Andrew I'm including this because it came into the mailbag and Just like Ron Burgundy must read whatever's on the teleprompter, I must read whatever's in the mailbag. This is Diana contacting us from Las Vegas. Dear Cutoff Side, I have something important to tell you. Let me introduce myself. I am the grand medium Diana, the famous sensitive psychic. And I would like to offer you an opportunity to change the course of your existence simply by listening to my totally free advice. What are you reading right now? I'm reading uh, what you call spam, Andrew, but it's it's someone, it's a fortune teller from Las Vegas. So I'm just wondering if if you right now in the football world, if you could see into the future, if you had a medium to do that for you, what would you like them to tell you for the year ahead?
1: You're asking me this? Yeah.
0: What would you like Let's to see. find out for the year ahead? Either your U.S. men's national team or yeah, Spurs yeah. or something.
1: No, I'm thinking about the U.S. men and what, what are the big milestone moments coming up this year? I don't know if there's anything quite,
0: I don't know. Clearly, Qualif-
1: you, clearly you have something in mind.
0: No, I'm just thinking, uh, do we qualify for the World Cup? I think that's the question. I would ask uh, medium Diana.
1: So you've rewarded her. So this person who spammed our account, you've now rewarded her by reading out this advertisement over a, a podcast consumed by thousands and thousands of people.
0: Wait for this. Next week, Andrew, because this has been waiting in our mailbag. Apparently, there's a prince in Nigeria who has $10 million he's going to give to us, and we only have to give him 10000 Wow, What a deal that is. All right. Uh, Adam Sharp, Andrew and JJ, I have the good fortune of being able to attend the Cut-Offside Cup on January 11th. I know JJ looks down his nose at obvious tourist bait, dual-team match scarves, but would either of you or both of you like a souvenir from the game? Well, it's obvious we get a match program that would be really cool.
1: Yeah, that of course that would be very cool. I'm trying to think of something a little more off the beaten path, though. Something like a little more unique piece of memorabilia. Everyone gets can get a match program. What's something different? Like, could he like reach out onto the field and maybe grab like I don't know, like a, a used Mourinho tissue?
0: Oh, so you want something maybe something special? Kid-side. Yeah, something truly well, it, special it, it, and different. Ah, uh, wow. I mean, that could be tricky. I mean, I guess he could go down, depending where he is in the stand, right down to the front of the field and ask the stewards for something if there's something scattered along the sideline.
1: Yeah. Or just maybe just an autograph from anyone. Anyone there. Doesn't need to, even need to be a manager or a player. Like somebody, you know, like uh, an attendant, uh, maybe somebody who, like, pours beer. Anyone. Something different. All right, okay. Program is so right, cliche, so- J.J
0: all right okay well adam sharp you've been set a challenge we want something different and um oh adam also goes thanks Um he doesn't care how long the pods are i listen to the very ed and thanks for a lot of good memories cue the maradona interview so
1: is that my cue to actually play it
0: yes uh, do, do you care to do some work on this podcast or is it just all JJ? <laughs> oh my god oh my god all right. You happy? Yeah, very happy. Um, Nathan Luttrell. Okay, Andrew, this is one of those where you have to answer or at least help with this and kind of pull me back from my worst instincts of being a D-nozzle. Um, Nathan Luttrell. Tis the season to drink and chat with friends and family. It is. One of my favorite late-night-had-enough-drinks conversations is, imagine if soccer was truly the biggest sport in America. It is like Germany, England, Brazil, and big American athletes had then played soccer instead of their current sport. What would your starting 11 be? Here is mine for a jump off. I play a 4-3-3 with with attacking wingbacks. All right. So he has in goals, Jonathan Quick, uh, right back, James Harden, left back, Mike Trout, centre back, Richard Sherman, other centre back, Anthony Davis, uh, defensive midfielder, Luke Keekley, left midfield, Russell Wilson, Right midfield, LeBron James. Absolutely makes no sense. Uh, Left wing, Patrick Mahomes. Right wing, Kawhi Leonard. Striker, Bryce Harper. What is going on? What is going on? Keep up the great work. You see, Nathan, I'm going to be mean about this. What are you doing? Are you just (laughs) plugging players into just wherever you can fit them? Bryce Harper, striker, LeBron James at right mid? Oh, my God. This team will be slaughtered. Like, why is Jonathan Quick in No, yeah. Uh, what, so, you want me
1: to hold you back from being a D nozzle for for what reason here? But well, he's not given any explanation for any of these positions, right? So go at him. I'm with you. I'm not holding you but, back from anything. That's weird. All
0: of that was this weird. Is, this is one of the laziest tropes you encounter when you when somebody usually uh, Rothenberg from ESPN New York uh, goes to you and says. Oh, uh, imagine if LeBron played soccer. No, uh, what do you mean? Imagine what? He would be like this, <laughs> this, uh, he'd be like a mega crouch and we don't even know if he'd have a good first touch. He'd be like this, this weird piece, like as if soccer doesn't have its own specific skill sets. Bryce Harper at striker. Based on what? Movement? No. I mean, Patrick Mahomes... Left wing. I mean, Mahomes has got like really good feet. Like, he's quick. He's he's dexterous with when it comes to throwing the ball. I guess that's okay. Um, but like, but, uh, no, it's, all of it was
1: crazy. But I, I still can't get past the Jonathan Quick in net. Like, first of <laughs> all, like, and I, you know what? I'm actually embarrassed that we that he whatever it was he was hoping to get out of this. We're in. Like, he sucked us in, and now we're talking about it. Um, but like, if you're gonna get someone in net, Jonathan Quick, he's six foot one. Like, get get, get Giannis, Andrew. Giannis Antetokounmpo in there. He's like six ten. He's got arms that can like reach from one side of the net to the other. He's one of the fastest players that you'll see with quick instincts. Like, don't don't give me a six one hockey
0: goalie. Come on, man. You're right. There was no thought. <laughs> Andrew. There was imagine, no thought. There. Look, look at the look at the fullbacks. Uh, James Harden. At right back and Mike Trout at left back. <laughs> Didn't get murdered. And by the way, let's at least include, like, can we
1: include any current soccer player? So, like, so, so Bryce Harper at striker is a better option than, oh, I don't know, Messi or like some or like Lewandowski.
0: Like, no soccer player included, only random. Athletes no, 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 no. He's he's imagining if soccer was truly the biggest sport in America and big American athletes had then played soccer instead of their current sport. So that's that,
1: what's, so that's that's the, the te- that's the US team?
0: I mean I guess so. All right.
1: What's the next question? I, I can't but,
0: even Oh Nathan's gonna be crying. He said such nice things about the podcast. I mean, look, oh. in
1: fairness to him, we spent a solid five minutes talking about it. It's probably more than we'll spend on any other <laughs> mailbag uh, question.
0: I think uh, I think this next. uh, Yeah, this might be much better. Um, Aaron Singh. Uh, Aaron says, hello, Andrew and JJ. My name is Aaron Singh, and I've been a huge fan of the pod since the start of last season. I moved to the U.S. with my family 10 years ago from Wolverhampton. Mm. So I am decidedly a Wolves fan, although I never really fell in love with football until a few years ago. Okay. anyway, now I live in Delaware and I'm excited the next Premier League Fan Fest will be in Philadelphia. I was wondering if either of you guys are planning on going. Keep up the good work. Well, you're a Philadelphian, Andrew. Are you going to be going to the Fan Fest?
1: I haven't been invited properly. And and so then, without proper invitation, I feel not wanted. And uh, I would feel uncomfortable being there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, Aaron, I'd like... Maybe the fan fest is for certain people, but when you watch it on TV, it 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 kind of puts you decidedly against going, as it is this wow. loud, this loud background interruption to you watching football, and you know it's just none. It's not for me. It's not for me. But what I would love to do that was is as to-
1: harsh a criticism that I've ever heard levied against it. Like for me, I remember watching it, thinking, okay, well, this is ne- like the one that they did in Fenway. Uh, it was the day of the Tottenham Liverpool game. And yeah. I remember thinking, well, this is just a Liverpool pep rally. Like Exactly. I, I can't like Would, So I, like that was why I wouldn't have wanted to be there because it just seemed but like the one in Miami looked kinda cool.
0: No, it did not. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: I forgot. Hot, hot JJ Salone, has to hate everything. I forgot who I was dealing there. with. Uh the only place suitable of watching a game is in a dark, dingy bar, uh, no, maybe a corner no. booth. Uh preferably no. not even on TV, audio only. Uh, you wrong. know, the way that our wrong. forefathers consumed it.
0: Wrong. Uh, considering I was the mastermind and developer of the, our own very excellent fan fest for the Champions League final, uh, everything you're saying is wrong. If all the Caught Offside Nation want to get together and watch another big game with us there and do a live pod, that would be pretty awesome in, in any venue you want. So you're but saying I, we'll I, do,
1: you want to plan our own competing fan fest? Oh,
0: we'd murder theirs. Ours would be so much more fun. Oh, my God. Come on. Uh, hey, you get to make a pancake of Christian Pulisic. Oh. You,
1: you're out of control. I don't, uh, I don't cosign any of this.
0: Yeah, well, okay. Devin Chu. Hi, guys. Love listening to the podcast. Look forward to a new pod every week. Thanks, Devin. What are your thoughts on breaks or lack thereof during the domestic leagues? For instance, the German Bundesliga has a whole month off, whereas the Premier League has pretty much no break. I would love to get your takes on the pros and cons of having a break and how it influences the league. Keep up the great work. um, Devin, my view is pretty much I think you can have Stevens day fo- since St. Stevens day sorry Boxing day football in in the Premier League. I think that works. I, I think though that sticking to this format now of playing games every two days, like for example, playing again on the 28th after playing on the 26th, we have so much sports science behind the idea that that is not enough recovery time. It's dangerous. It's not good for players. So I would find a way to kind of say, play, play now, maybe play another round of matches uh, on the 30th or something like that. I know there will be games then anyways, but try and space the games out more and then actually do have a break. I think the league would benefit from it. It's um, you hear unanimity on this from managers, and and it's not just because it affects their team obviously that's a huge part of it but it's also the player welfare and what doctors are telling them um two managers Mourinho and Klopp not we both reading from the same script and they called it a crime uh the fixtures the way they're set up and uh, at this time of year and it's it's hard with all the science that we have to justify it that's my opinion I don't know what yours is Andrew
1: yeah look as a fan uh I I, I do love it like Cause this is a time of year when you're mostly at home, like people take off from work. So you're available to watch games and consume all this. And it's really fun. We love the sport. And like, this is a really fun time of year because it comes fast and furious. Uh, So I love it in that sense. But like, it's when managers who hate it start punishing you. Like, so we're talking about Adama Traore and how brilliant he's been, and how he like is coming off his best performance ever against Manchester City. And so then, because they're turning around just a couple days later and playing Liverpool, what happens today when the team sheets revealed for Wolves? Well, he's not starting because like we're we're now punished uh, because Nuno is angry that they have to play this kind of fixture schedule, so he's going to sit his best player. Now, Traore did come on as a sub in the 58th minute, but like. He just had his greatest game ever. He's in unbelievable form. Why can't we watch him for 90 minutes against Liverpool? So, like, in that sense, it's annoying because managers then hold back some of their best players in games where you want to be seeing them play because the fixtures are too many. So, like, there can be a happy medium, maybe just like one other midweek game rather than having this insane two-week stretch of multiple midweeks and all that. Uh, Conversely, I don't like the month-long break. Uh, I, I don't – I understand why they do it, but it the idea of that is just simply foreign to me uh, because there's no sport in this country that that I follow, soccer included, that replicates that in any way. And that just seems – so yeah. it just seems weird to me. Uh, so that I, I don't like. Um, but, like, I also understand why maybe there are people in the Premier League who don't love the way they do it either. So can't we just, like – compromise and find a normal way of of doing it
0: yeah i mean i i I just i just feel like we have to find a way to preserve the tradition of being like you said being people being off work and able to go to games and enjoy that whole thing and and you know just maybe protect our players a little bit more but there there are other organizations that come into play on that and other factors and um yeah i guess we're getting to a point where we can't have it the way it used to be that that much appears to be clear is that uh, bob bob latai oh, oh um sent me a long winded email a couple of weeks back and this was i had to break it down to the final paragraph jj it's time for you to stop airing your misgivings about var and this is the best part and andrew this is this, this is the absolute i mean only people who send emails or tweets i mean this is something you just would never say to anybody else Stop airing your misgivings about VAR because simply your take is the wrong take. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you once again to keep up the great work. Well, Bob, I'm delighted, Bob, that you are not going to enjoy this podcast, Bob. And finally, um Whoa, Attica- well, wait a second.
1: Okay. I don't have any chance
0: to respond to our lovely he- listener Bob.
1: Like- well,
0: Bob's a nice Bob's a nice guy, but Well, Bob here, here wants- is what he's want Bob wants me not to air an opinion? I mean, come
1: on. Well, no, of course you're entitled to air your opinion. Here is what Bob is right about, though, is that, like, you've become insufferable. Like, And I mentioned it a couple, uh, uh, maybe a month or so ago, that, like, your endless, repetitive moaning, uh, like, we get it. We know your point of view. like, and, and the fact that we have to be continually subjected to it after every single game, it's exhausting. And I think Bob is feeling that exhaustion, and he needs you to know that you're killing him. You're killing him slowly, uh, and it needs to stop.
0: Andrew, I, um, I'm i subjected to your face each and every day. <laughs> Not today. In some <laughs> shape or form, and I'm going to be childish about this and say I put up with your face. You can, you can put up with my opinions. Wow. Oh, the skill of rhetoric is yours, JJ. Finally, this is the coolest story of the Christmas that I've gotten so far, and it just shows... I don't want to get soppy, but but the reach the podcast has and the the nation, the army of listeners and just genuinely good people that we've built up. Mm. And this is from Atticus and Andrea Proctor. Mm. Right. I am writing to you on behalf of myself, and my brother, Andrea. I'm presuming I'm saying that right. Probably not. We have both followed the pod for over two years and never miss an episode. Oftentimes when we phone each other to, to catch up because I live in Tucson And he lives in Vermont. The pod comes up and we discuss the latest caught offside content. You guys have helped us make a ton of soccer memories over the years. On holiday last year, I remember belting the CONCACAF Champions League song (laughs) (laughs) with my brother as we were driving to the ski hill. Fast forward to this year and you both have helped us make a new football memory. So here's the story, Andrew. This past April, our 75-year-old grandmother was in Ireland. And as she was driving her rental car she sent us a Snapchat. Yes, our granny has Snapchat. Nice. Of a, of a street sign showing us that she was in Sligo. Upon seeing this, I, Atticus, immediately told her that my brother and I listened to an awesome soccer podcast where one of the hosts is from Sligo. I also requested that it would be beyond awesome if she could track down some Sligo Rovers kits for us because we've become Sligo fans vicariously through JJ. Fast forward to Christmas morning 2019, my brother and I having completely forgotten about our request for Sligo Rovers apparel, opened two beautiful Sligo Rovers kits. I've attached a photo of me and my brother wearing our kits. I'm going to put them on social media. So we are officially Sligo Rovers fans now. Thank you for putting together a fantastic pod each week that we can enjoy. We truly appreciate your work and enthusiasm for the pod. We look forward to more uh, pod memories and conversations, and we wish you the best for the new year. Wow. That's, That's pretty amazing. But guess what? My brother got me for Christmas.
1: A so Sligo, Sligo kit.
0: Sligo Rovers sell the match-worn kits. So you can get a kit that was worn by a player on Sligo Rovers for the past season for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he got me Ward, the center-back's jersey, and number four. Well, so I've, uh, with And it's got the official league patches and everything. Well,
1: that is beautiful. That, e- that email we got is beautiful. I look forward now to their grandmother sending them a picture when she's in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania. It's only fair.
0: Oh, absolutely! She now has to dra- uh, travel to uh, to Upper Dublin. Yeah, that's right. For for complete balance. By the way, Andrew, before we go, we should mention um, Erling Braut halland He is going to be wearing a new jersey uh, from uh, from very soon
1: for Borussia Dortmund. Apparently,
0: y- yes. Thoughts on that?
1: Uh, my thoughts are: I just feel sick for Jesse Marsh. Yes. As his team is just pillaged beneath him right in the moment of their peak. Uh, and I just look, it's the way of the world in this sport. Um, so no one should be surprised or I guess really upset about it. It's just the way that things are. Um, I just, I support him as an American manager trying to get it done in Europe and he's done so well so far. And I, I don't know, I guess this will be yet another test that he'll now have to pass, losing his two best players heading into
0: January. Sky Sports are reporting that he signed for Borussia Dortmund uh, from Salzburg, as we know, and they understand that Manchester United met Haaland's 20 million release clause but refused to meet conditions for the transfer. We believe the conditions for the transfer were that uh, Erling Braut Haaland would get a cut of the transfer fee, not his agent, which would be... I guess, against the norm for transfers and how they're usually executed, which is pretty interesting. Um, What I'm interested in is that the the Red Bull organization, um, I mean, it's a global sporting organization, and it's a global football organization. The fact that he doesn't go to Leipzig is quite interesting as well. Well,
1: it's not a farm system.
0: Well, it kind of is. In, in many ways, it is, and in many ways, it's been proven to be. Um, you know, Takumi Minamino going to Liverpool that doesn't benefit them really. Although there's rumours about some kind of uh, understanding being broached between the two clubs about transfers in the future. I don't have any details on that. That's only a rumour. But I would have thought that you know Nagelsmann would have liked to have worked with with uh, with Haaland in in the Bundesliga, and now the best young striking talent in Europe is going to a, a rival by the way he's he's uh, he's really in he's in pretty poor form at the moment Andrew just the 22 goals in 22 games wow so yeah so he's clearly struggling for form
1: <laughs> yeah well there you go that is this podcast we'll be back uh you still in Ireland I believe but we'll be back sometime this week for a, a kind of a recap of this whole festive period. I don't know. I never know what people think of these podcasts when we're we're apart. I don't even know what I think of them sometimes. So hopefully people have found themselves enjoying this, but I don't know. And if you didn't, my apologies. Uh, What can I do to make it up to you? What would you like JJ to do? Uh, Because I understand.
0: Yeah, also, uh, people who are requesting us to to do X or Y, you got to realize it's the holiday period. We are with our families. I'm in a different country, so I don't have access the same amount of football or I have different access rather to different amounts of football so I can't always talk about the things you want me to talk about like you know if I'm going for dinner with my family I'm, I may not sit down and watch Bundesliga highlights so I can discuss them on the oh podcast god, but don't, with, don't get angry but,
1: you're so sensitive again
0: god <laughs> <laughs> no I'm coming down with a cold Andrew and I, I, I just cannot hack it I, I, I'm not very good with man flu <laughs> or with people apparently which all right just people all who right. want
1: more of you, and you, 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 like, the way you look down your nose at them and their requests, I'm with my family, I don't have time for this.
0: Ugh. That's have, not true. People have you That's all wrong. That's not true at all. How dare you? Don't paint me in this light. The way I love to paint you in certain lights, you're doing that same thing to me. I want you to stop.
1: Well, I'll never stop. You can't make me. You're not here to physically, uh, <laughs> to physically make me <laughs> stop, which is what your normal go-to would be. Well, hey, this no, was when fun.
0: I, when, I, when I get back, sonny boy, I will look after you. <laughs> This was
1: fun. Uh, I will speak to you, J.J., during the week, and then we'll be back with a podcast probably near the end of the week uh, after New Year's. All right? That sound like a plan to you?
0: That's pretty good to me, man. All
1: right. Well, hey, to all of you fine people out there, I say... Take it later, fun boy. Have a happy New Year. J.J., happy New Year to you as well. See ya.
0: Take care, Andrew. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.